0: To the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas. With your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. Welcome to the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast. Ryan Ray here in the captain's chair because, well, folks, you know Josh Shelton. He's been here what three, four weeks in a row, so he has to he has to take off he's like a uh, a government employee or something you know he needs a every third federal holiday or something like that's a, a day off for him so josh is out today but have no fear i'm here the cow ripkin the brett Favre, you might say a podcasting the iron man himself alongside we're going to bring him out from behind the curtains against my better judgment nate hansen nate how's it going sir
1: it's going well ryan how are you doing today
0: um, I can't complain. Last week was a good week, and I went down to Nape as uh, everyone knows. I'm a man of the people, so I was down at Summer Nape. And first off, thanks to the folks at Nape for giving me a press pass. But Nate, I have an idea. I have a way to fix Summer Nape. Um, so first off, they rightfully call it Summer Nape, and that is because it is like the hottest part of the summer. And it's in Houston, which makes it like a swamp. Like it's like two, <laughs> three days of just being in a sauna nonstop. So, so they got they got the summer part right, but I just think if they slid it back to September, you know, maybe mid to late September, they could fix the the heat issue. And now you might be thinking, well, it's called summer nape, people will be confused. But just change it to September nape. Just September nape. Slide it back thirty days, and you know your boy wouldn't be like having to change shirts every 30 seconds when he's down there. I mean, I, I think it's an easy solution to fix the, the summer nape heat problem. What do you think, Nate?
1: I think that sounds like a great idea. Uh, another idea, possibly, would be to move it out of Houston, as absurd as that sounds, because then you're not, uh, you're not behaving as if you're in somebody's mouth all the time, no matter what time of year you're down there. Um, that's, just, that's just me, though, with my north yeah. North Texas prejudices.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I don't think I think they might have a ride right if you move it out of, out of there. But so I think a compromise. Call it September Nape, and just move it to September, and then everyone will know that September Napes in September. Like it's not even. You don't have to say summer Nape is now in September. You just call it September Nape. With that being said, I had a great time down there. Saw a lot of good people, um, a lot of listeners I ran into, and I was looking this morning through my cards because I wanted to mention the people that I ran into, and I don't have those particular cards. So I am trying to go back through my notes and see who it was that I ran into, um, because I told him I'd give him a shout out. And I will say this, I ran into the folks at Texoga, and um, I sent e, uh, Neil an email. So Neil, get my email, respond back, Tell me who it was I was talking to at your organization so I can give them a shout out. I hate giving Neil a shout out, but uh, he's getting one, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, it was good. Summer Night was good. Had a good time down there. And I, I think I don't really have any events coming up until, I don't know, maybe October. But. That aside, Nate, we've got quite a controversy brewing here. We've had, thanks to the listeners, a 20%, at least a 20%, just in um, overall month-on-month downloads increase. So 20% increase on month-on-month downloads. We've had reviews have been pouring in, ratings have been pouring in, and yet we've fallen three spots in the iTunes ranking, which leads me to believe it's got to be a conspiracy A or B. Nate, you're not doing your job. I'm fine with either, either one. Which one are you going with?
1: I figured C, all of the above, Ryan. Um, however, one, one thing that I have learned from my dealings with Apple is that they do not care how much love people send you on iTunes unless they are subscribing. Um, and I have a suspicion that we have a, a low rate of, of new subscriptions coming in. Um, so our listeners can really, really help us by going and subscribing to the podcast on iTunes or on the Apple Podcasts app. Um, so rate, review, however, subscribe. However, it is also more than likely that I am not doing my job and um, should probably be locked back in my cage. For my, I spend. just want to say,
0: if we if we drop next week based upon your recommendation, then we will fully know whose fault it is.
1: Yep, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, okay. so are going to blame me anyway, so...
0: Well, but now we now we have proof of how bad your ideas are, so everyone gets to see it. Um, rate, review, subscribe. A couple, a handful of um, reviews have come in. The first one, Nate, has an interesting name here. I'm going to read it as if it's multiple words, but keep in mind this is one word as it appears on iTunes.
1: Okay, is this this shouldn't be so crappy again?
0: No, 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 It's a five star review. Um, I'm gonna read this as one, two, three. Four words: ball, sacks, in, t, bags. Keep it a PG for the folks out there. You can put that together. Um, love it. Don't stop at the cheesy Bo and Luke Duke intro. Hello, keep it up, guys. Thank you, Mr. Bags, we will call you. Um, next is Come By. Um, fantastic content for oil and gas professionals. If you're in the industry, want to stay abreast of the latest and greatest, and are looking or are looking for uh, to enter the industry, this is the podcast for you. Keep up the good work, Ryan and Joss, your friends at Titan Rock. Love the folks over at Titan Rock. Uh, try to go by and see them at least once a month, if not more. Austin Pressy, best in the world. This one nails it. I mean, best in the world. How else can you describe it, right?
1: That's just speaking the truth right there.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. See, iTunes should have put us at one based upon this. This is the best podcast to listen to, hands down, bar none. The guys keep you up to date on all the happenings in the industry and trends they are seeing. Awesome lineup of guests, knowledgeable, funny, and informative. Great job. Keep it rolling, guys. Thank you, Austin Pressy. This is from uh, Chris with a long number, 183. Is this maybe his cell phone number? I don't know.
1: 183 three nine three zero two no that's that doesn't look like a cell phone number okay so
0: chris thank you for that long number there great listen five stars i really enjoy listening to the show and getting the information and opinions of the industry as a worker in the oil and gas industry i like to stay in the know this podcast helps me do just that thanks for your hard work and dedication hashtag mount rushmore my man that is what i'm talking about we are working on that Um, this is from
1: chris if you want to give us your credit card number you don't have to do that in your uh in your username you can just send that to me directly
0: (laughs) yeah you can send it or cash or check either one um this is from loves free Picks. okay fracking in the bonkin five-star review great podcast good great podcast good humor and good perspective so we started the great podcast the humor is good and the perspective is good but you know what Beggars can't be choosers. We'll take it. Um, good perspective on the industry keeps driving for that billion dollar podcast buyout. Exactly. If you know anyone who wants to buy out this show, let us know rate review, subscribe according to Nate, but rate and review mainly, um, and you know, subscribe and don't, you know, tell a friend, what else think? What else can they do? There's a lot tell of things a they can
1: do. Share our content on LinkedIn, share our content on Facebook.
0: Uh, we have take your email cards. list and just blast it out to there. Yes. So Send we are on the, friends. yes, we are on the Mount Rushmore quest. If you don't know, you're new to the show. We were ranked at number 20 in the business news category. We're trying to get to top four status. Obviously Josh Shelton, not showing up for work doesn't help us at all with that. Um, but you know, I'm here carrying the load once again. Um,
1: well, so it might we, just have to be you and me and our two biggest subscribers on that, on that Mount Rushmore there.
0: Hey, that, that's a good question. Can Josh keep his spot on Mount Rushmore if he doesn't show up for work?
1: I would suggest no. You, you've you got to be consistent. You, you've got to be Theodore Roosevelt to make it onto <laughs> Mount Rushmore. Um, or, yeah, somebody who doesn't quit.
0: Yeah, I mean, that cat got shot and kept on going, right? Yeah. Josh Lincoln, sees someone. Too. Yeah. Josh sees someone with the sniffles and he calls in sick. So, um, anyways, okay. Well, hopefully, French Josh. I work ethic of his. <laughs>
1: he makes the French look like
0: <laughs> hardcore workers. So, um, but, anyways, all right. So, who, who we have on the show today, Nate?
1: We have on two guests today. The first is Ben Heinzelman with uh, Mineral where he is the vice president over there. Um, He is coming on to uh, talk to us in just a few minutes here. And then after Ben, we have on uh, Mr. David Blackman, who I believe our listeners is very familiar with.
0: Yep, David Blackman's coming on once again, a lot to get into with him, and so we're excited about that. And so, um, know the news. We have OwenGascruise dot com, just a few weeks to sign up for that. Again, you're not paying anything, but if you are interested in potentially going on a cruise with the crew and some other folks, then you need to get that done by early was it next week? That would be uh, next week. I mean two weeks. Or, yeah, two, two weeks. Two weeks, yeah. Two weeks. And so um without without further ado, we'll we'll get to our guest. Up next, we have on Ben Heiselman, who is the Vice President of Sales for MineralWare. Ben, how's it going, sir?
2: Doing great. Thanks for having me.
0: All right. So, we talk a lot on the show. I say a lot. We talk regularly on the show about um, acquisitions, minerals, things like that. But we don't really talk about it from maybe the the management side of things. And um, I think this is kind of an interesting topic that we have landowners that listen to the show and might be interested. So, why don't, why don't you kind of walk through um, just quickly what it is you guys do and then why you do it and what's kind of going on in that space of minerals and lost minerals if you will and you can't find them and you're trying to to manage what all is going on with um with your assets
2: sure so um so yeah so i work for mineralware we're a cloud-based mineral management solution uh we built a platform that kind of you know merges all the different sources of information that a mineral owner but that a royalty owner would access into one location so you know, kind of your hard copy folders, uh, you know, typically most of those folks are using hard copy folders or Excel sheets, um, getting a lot of check subs in the mail. Uh, we merged all those into one location. Um, so, you know, again, most folks are kind of doing it the old fashioned way. We're trying to kind of bring that up, uh, bring that up to speed in a new uh, digital era, um, trying to kind of put it all into one solution.
0: So are you guys... Um when you're looking for you're know, tracking minerals and stuff what is it that you're seeing from the landowner perspective is it you know company a is purchased by company b and then when they kind of um, take over the, the you know their, their drilling program that maybe it gets lost in the shuffle there is it just um you know just for whatever reason there's uh database changes on the company side why is it that this is such a hard problem to track and and people get lost in the shuffle
2: yeah, no, that's exactly right. Well, number one, I think the biggest issue is uh, a lot of people just don't even know what they own. Uh, that's kind of problem number one. Um, people kind of usually just go off of what they're, you know, what they're paid, and make sure that, you know, oper- the second operator that takes over operations just pays them on those interests. But a lot of times, you have these ancillary assets that you know, mineral and royalty owners aren't really aware of uh, that they even own. So that's usually kind of step number one, you know, that we make sure that each mineral owner needs to make sure they know, you know, exactly what they own. And this applies to not just your standard mineral and royalty owner, you know, Jim, Bob, that owns some interest out in West Texas, but also, you know, acquisition groups. A lot of times these acquisition groups, you know, they acquire interest and they'll have a list of properties listed on the, uh, you know, on the exhibit, a lot of times they include catch-all language. Uh, you know, typically it's a blanket conveyance that is, you know, selling everything that owner one owns uh, into them. And they don't even know. A lot of times they just get division orders and a bunch of random stuff. They not even know what they own. And so even if they do get in pay status, there's a lot of, number one, you don't know that you're paid accurately. But number two, the industry is so dynamic. There are new wells being drilled. It seems like, you know, every other day. So even if you have a pretty solid handle it on a one day, you know if those if those operations or that leasehold has changed to a new operator, um, you know they're like you said and you brought up a good point. Things just kind of inherently slip through the cracks, especially when two land systems or land teams start talking to each other. Um, that's usually where we see the biggest issue. Um, and a lot of times there's you know there's a million different reasons why some of those things might slip through the cracks beyond just a kind of, a, like you said, uh, you know, systems talking to each other. Um, you know, there could be uh, title issues, whether, uh, you know, the operating company just runs for title. Uh, there's a there's a lot of different things that come up. You know, we've actually seen it a few times. where We had a, a large client out in the Permian. They're a, just a large nonprofit. And uh, when we loaded them into Mineralware the first month, we located – uh, I think it was like $125,000 in suspense on three wells that they didn't even know about, and I think it was something as simple as just a you know bad zip code on a division order. You know, there are things as that small and simple as that that you know end up putting funds in suspense for a lot of our clients, and you know, again, a majority of folks just don't have the resources to chase those things down, uh, and even if they do, if they're using of the the antiquated methods of chasing these things down, um, it's it's very manual and, and time consuming.
0: So, from the landowner side of things, um, maybe what are some misconceptions when they when they're going through it and they're saying, you know, what I kind of think I have um, all this. Um, you know, in, in you know, wrapped up, or I kind of have a handle on this. When you're talking and, and consulting with landowners, what are maybe two of the three, the two or three things that you see that you go, you know, what? Hey, you um, you, you might need to look for this, or you, you you kind of thought you had all these things in this bucket, but guess what? You didn't have this information. Um, uh, things that they're they're just genuinely overlooking when they're trying to put together what minerals they own and where.
2: A lot of times, it's you see that you, these mineral owners aren't including when they're. We see it whenever. Most of these owners are you know transferring interest into a new entity. Um, we have several clients that have sixteen plus entities, believe it or not, and so that's that's difficult enough to make sure that everything is in pay correctly, even if you own all those assets in one county. But most of these clients they own assets all over the country. so you start to talk about you know assets in ten plus states and sixteen entities or so. that gets extremely difficult you know to make sure that everything is in pay status. so a lot of the issues that we see are, you know, not including all the correct legal descriptions, not filing, you know, all the uh, the necessary conveyances in each county. Um, you know, again, you're in ten plus states, you're in you know hundred counties or so. I mean, you literally have to file a conveyance at every single county. Um, another thing that they're not, you know, a lot of minerals aren't even including a list of all the legal descriptions. They're just using catch-all language. And so when, a, when an inexperienced landman is out in the field and they're running title, uh, it's very easy to miss, especially if they're just going up to the abstract office and they're looking for all the conveyances on a particular track, uh, especially here in Texas, it's, they're very liable to miss some sort of, uh, you know, conveyance like that that's, sorting, that's trying to, uh, that is intended to catch everything at once. That's typically the the biggest issue. It's, it's normally just a paperwork thing, um, and it's, it's something that we run into on a daily basis. Not just on you know from the uh, you know from a standpoint of or from a client owning you know assets in ten plus states, like I mentioned. It's it can also be just the, the standard owner that owns in you know three to four counties. Uh, we actually ran into this with my grandmother. I helped my grandmother owns a bunch of interest, kind of spread out in Oklahoma. And it was a, a deal where you know her grandmother passed away in uh, in El Paso, and we probated the well here in Texas, but didn't file it in the state of Oklahoma. And all the operators in the state of Oklahoma required it to be to go through the actual probate proceedings in Oklahoma. So there's a bunch of uh, there were a bunch of uh, wells and, and revenue held in suspense uh, there in Oklahoma. And quite frankly, unless they had contacted us we would have had no way to know about it. Um, and since then, uh, we've, I've loaded her up in nowhere. so hopefully we can <laughs> fall through the cracks.
0: <laughs> well, that, that kind of brings me to my final thing, which is one of the things that we talked about is, and the, the landmen on their listeners might not be happy with me, but we need to get it out there for the people, is that some landmen uh, are going through, and they're, they're finding this, and hey, I'm a capitalist, man. Go make your money however you want to. Uh, but they are finding these people who aren't getting the checks, and they will contact the landowner on their behalf, and then solve the problem um and they could be taking 30 40 50 of the stake and so hey again if you want to do that go do it i don't i don't have a problem if you're a landowner though and you're going you know what how do i prevent giving up 50 percent of my stake um you guys are a viable solution that can help um protect the landowner on their side as well
2: yeah that's exactly right um you know we so Number one, the the way that we do that is, you know, we essentially we use a cloud based solution that is mapping out all the client's interests and it's overlaying live, on permit data and production data, uh, and then we take kind of the final step of integrating all the check stub information and tying it to the map, so the client actually knows exactly what they're in pay on or what they're not, and again, it's updated on a daily basis. So, you know, when you get into the, the situation where you're a standard mineral owner and you're using, you know, the revenue commission website check stub information you're trying to use an Excel sheet or a hard copy folder to manage it, you kind of end up jumping through a bunch of different hoops. You know, you're comparing, you might be looking at your check stuff, comparing it to the railroad Commission and going back and forth, and that gets out of date the very next day. Uh, so with us, we're integrating it into one solution where the client, especially when they're in multiple counties, they can see exactly what they're in pay on and what they're not. And more importantly, like I said, if there is something producing per the state or in any state in the country, Uh, that is producing that they're not in pay on the system actually automatically spits that out um so obviously that's it's never going to be perfect state data is never perfect client data is never perfect there are always things that are missing but it's killing a lot of the initial work up front uh instead of having to go through and and you know kind of manually put together a spreadsheet of everything you think is missing uh it's killing all the hours of work on the front end Uh, but yeah we we see that a lot you know where you have there's a lot of lamb in here. And, and quite frankly, I mean, that's, that's my background as well. Um, not doing that specifically, but you know, I, I would never disparage that sort of work. I think there's, there's a lot to be said about locating something for someone and going through the the process of actually getting it into pay status. That does require a lot of work. So they, they deserve to be paid, but we actually had a, uh, my my uh, dad had a, some interest that my grandfather passed along to him that I think I mentioned this to you at lunch the other day that, um, some guy had, had located out in Upton County. Um, and, you know, it's the thing typically in the tax rolls, you're you're listed as an owner, but there's no address. That's really what these folks are usually doing. They're just locating some very productive areas, trying to, lo- you know, locate the owners that are on the tax rolls for that particular lease where they don't have a an address. And they'll try to locate those people and then, like you said, kind of give them a uh, you know, hopefully get a kickback from the middle owner. But um, we had a situation like that with my dad and there were, you know, I think XTO had drilled like 12 wells across that particular section. Um, and my granddad, I think had sold it back in you know 1999 for like a hundred thousand dollars or something and running the reserves, it's worth like 6 million today, but, which is a little frustrating, but, um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's one of those things where, you know, for most mineral owners, they don't know. How to locate any of that stuff? They don't have the resources to do that, so they are reliant on a landman to do that. And, and again, they're giving up thirty, forty, fifty percent, whereas they can use our product and, you know, for a few hundred bucks a month, they can kind of do it themselves.
0: Okay, well, that is, you know, hey, that's a double edged sword there. So if you're a landman, you're looking for a new way to make money, there's your opportunity. If you're a mineral owner, and you're looking to save money, contact the folks at mineralware, they will help you out mineralware.com. Nate will link to that in the show notes. Uh, Ben, is there anywhere else, folks, I know you guys are downtown Fort Worth, obviously, but is there anywhere else website, uh, besides website, LinkedIn, social media, you want to send folks to uh, today?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Check us out on LinkedIn. We, we typically post a lot of our uh, updates there. Also our website. Um, those are typically our, our two uh, favorite avenues to post material.
0: Awesome. Okay, great. And mineralware.com, again, is the website. Be sure, if you are wanting to get your acreage, your minerals managed um, by these folks, be sure to check out mineralware.com. We'll link to all that in the show notes. Ben, it was great having lunch with you the other day. Thank you for coming on the show. Uh, Good stuff you you guys got going on there.
2: Thanks, Ryan. I appreciate the time.
0: Up next, we have on, once again, David Blackman, who is the editor of Shell Mac and Forbes Contributor. David, slight bone to pick with you here. Um, When does the title say Texas Oil and Gas Podcast Contributor? That's what we need to get added to this. Um.
3: (laughs) We do that, too. Yeah. (laughs) How's it going, sir? Oh, going great, going great! It's a beautiful day in Texas.
0: Okay, we have we have teased this for a few weeks now without you knowing it. Probably we uh, have talked about having you on because, as you know, there is a lot of news. If you missed it, out in the Permian Basin, um, and and, and <laughs> well, and, and you know, David, right now there's a lot of fear I think out there in the market, and so um, you know, we have one listener, speaker who is. Pretty, you know, pretty outspoken, saying that he thinks that the smaller um, companies and the mid, comp- the mid the mid to smalls, are in, in serious financial trouble. Um, thinks the big boys will survive, but the smaller ones are in trouble. Um, I know that you obviously are covering this type of stuff on a weekly basis, and you put a couple pieces on Forbes. So we wanted to say, hey, let's bring in David, get his perspective on what is going out there in the Permian. Is the the small cap, mid cap armageddon around the corner? Is it overhyped? Um, can these companies make a profit? It, i'll let you take it wherever you want to take it from so what does well, with we, that? we had
3: armageddon for those companies in uh what was that 2016 when we had more than 200 of them go bankrupt uh we've had a slight uptick in bankruptcy so far this year over last year but you know there weren't hardly any last year uh the fact of the matter is where small and mid caps are concerned some of them are always in financial difficulty because some of them aren't particularly well managed You know, I mean, I don't want to be harsh, but uh, the better managed companies are are not in financial difficulty and and the poorly managed companies, you know, with taking on too much debt, more debt than they can sustain and have high operating costs. And, and, you know, uh, don't drill the wells as well as as other companies do. Yeah, they're going to be in financial troubles. I had a great, interesting, very interesting conversation with Alan Gilmer a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, Alan is the chairman of the board at,
0: uh, what? It's not, yeah, it's not drilling info. I don't know what the, how you pronounce it, but it's not drilling info.
3: It's now in Varus. Um, and he reminded me uh, of something I've always known, but you know, you tend to forget sometimes is that shell formations are, are different than conventional formations. Uh, in a conventional formation like the East Texas field, it didn't really matter who drilled that first well in the East Texas field. it was going to be a gusher because the pressure had built up and then everybody who drilled you know drilled wells around it also had gushers because it was a conventional formation. It was just this big pool all down there in the ground, uh, sitting in a very porous formation. But in these shell formations, the skill with which you do your drilling and do your frack jobs and perform your completions and perform your workovers really matters. It matters a lot. You can have, right now in the Permian, you could have one operator next door to another operator drilling in essentially the same rock. And because one operator is a really good operator and knows what they're doing when they're drilling their wells and, and targeting the rock, is going to get 30% better results than the guy next door. Um, so, so skill really matters in shale formations uh, in ways that didn't so much matter when you were drilling conventional wells. So, yes, some companies are in trouble. Some companies are always in trouble. And, uh, you know, that that just is something that it changes by degree in the industry, but, but there are always a number of companies who are having financial difficulties.
0: So, if I'm following what you're saying, essentially, is that that the companies, if you take out conventional, talk about the shale plays, the companies that are in trouble in the shale plays um, could be not necessarily that there's anything fundamentally wrong with producing uh, or... or, um, it's not that, that, that you can't make money producing oil from shale. It's that you had to have a, a different set of skills or more elite skills or however you want to phrase that. And if you don't have those um, and you go for the big cash grab, you're going to fail. Um, whereas if you're for conventional, it's a little bit easier to get in there and make money. And so what we're seeing here is the shale companies are out there kind of going for the gold rush, if you will, may not have the skills. So they're going to fail. But that's not indicative of whether or not companies can make money. In the shale place, if that makes sense. Sure.
3: Some companies are making money hand over fist out there in the Permian Basin. I mean, my God, Exxon just announced this morning, ExxonMobil announced this morning, um, you know, that they're going to actually increase their capital budget deployment for the Permian Basin in the coming months. So, you know, yeah, Exxon's a big integrated company, but there's independent producers who are also increasing their capital budgets towards the Permian Basin and targeting the Permian Basin over other basins in the country. So, you know, these, these folks who are, you know, I mean, there, there's always a a set of critics who are predicting out there, uh, the end of the world for the oil and gas industry, the peak oil people have been doing it for over a century now. Uh, they're never right. And they're not, not right this time. So,
0: so I guess let me take it like that. So it sounds like, um, there could be some commonalities in what you're saying and what some of the listeners have, are saying, but maybe coming from a different vantage point, which is there could be companies in trouble. You're just arguing potentially that the, the trouble is a lack of talent or skill or whatever you say. is say. And they're saying um, the issue is it's not profitable, which which then leads me to my second point. But see,
3: yeah, not profitable. See, that's a general blanket statement that is simply not true and is demonstrably not true by the facts on the ground.
0: Right, right, right. So that's what I'm saying. So they're saying it's not profitable, and you're saying, well, okay, they're not profitable, profitable. But why? And the reason is they're not skilled. They don't have the talent, or, or you know, what expertise, or whatever you want to say. That's that would be the difference. Which means, if you do have those those resources, you could make profit out there. Um, so if these small to mid cap companies do start going belly up, belly up, um, the larger companies would be incentivized to then go pick them up. Correct? Yeah, depending on their assets. Their, their, their assets. I mean.
3: Sure. It would, obviously, it always depends on the quality of the resource that they have under lease, but sure. And, and we're going to see a lot of that. Uh, we've already seen Oxy eat up Anadarko Petroleum. Um, you know, um, in a, the biggest merger since, uh, I guess, uh, BP, BP Amico, or was it Chevron Texaco was the last big one in the late 90s. And, you know, we're going to see a lot of consolidation out there. I think that you know, people need to understand a lot of these bigger independent producers and even the mid-sized independent producers, they're just resource plays. They're just uh, their management teams actually created them in recent years in order to sell them eventually, you know, to to acquire some primo resources and develop them to some extent and, and set the company up to where it's a, a very beautiful takeover target to be acquired by an Exxon Mobil or a Chevrolet. Right. Or somebody like that. So, yeah, there's going to be a lot of that. I think there's going to be a ton of it in just the next 12 to 15 months.
0: So, and I know, David, you, you know this, but just for the listener's standpoint, and as you say, sometimes it's good to remind yourself, we talk about oil and gas. We always talk about, it seems like, the upstream. How does the midstream tie into this? If you are, because, you know, obviously, you know, you have a takeaway capacity requirements and stuff for midstream companies. How are they going to fit into this? You know, we talked last year about, um, we didn't have enough capacity. Now the articles are starting to come out out where we're gonna have you know spare capacity either on the market now or depending on who you believe by the end of the year or first quarter. So the spare capacity is there. Um, if you do see some small to mid caps that are, are gonna struggle, is that any concern for folks maybe on the midstream side of things?
3: Well, it could cause some some diminution in in their uh, subscriptions to their pipeline companies. You know, the the midstream Uh, And and as you mentioned, we are beginning to get to the completion phase of a lot of these major pipeline projects coming out of the Permian. We, just in the last two weeks, have added over a million barrels a day of takeaway capacity from two two different pipeline systems uh, going live. But yeah, uh, you know, you could, if if a company goes belly up, of course, that's even exaggerated, right? These companies don't just stop producing when they declare a bankruptcy. They go into check Chapter 11, right. reorganization. The wells keep producing, but yeah, I mean, uh, theoretically, anyway, you you could see some disruptions in in oil or gas flow in a pipeline. I think what's going to be interesting to watch, uh, you know, over the next few years is in the midstream section if there is any further consolidation in that sector uh, of the oil and gas industry uh, as all these major projects are completed in the Permian. But you know, uh, some companies have had they're very critical projects held up uh, in the eastern part of the country and, and in the Intermountain West uh, by environmental protesters um, and and through lawsuits uh, in the federal courts. And it'd be interesting to see. I, I'm just beginning to kind of and I haven't done a lot of research on it, but I'm just beginning to kind of think about, you know, what are we going to see in the mid midstream now that some of these big projects are actually being completed? Are we going to see any similar kind of consolidation in, in that sector of the business?
0: Yeah, no, that's um, that is something of interest that I, I've wondered because the, the models are a little, a little bit different there. And, um, you know, I know some midstream guys who, you know, they would call it junk pipeline, if you will. they will. They'll get these old systems and just kind of put a little WD-40 on them and Scrub them with a wire brush, and you know they just kind of keep them going and keep them going, and then every now and then they'll they'll add some new capacity or whatnot. So it, it is it is interesting to to kind of see where that will shake out. Um, next thing is the ducks. Now I am I've said it for a while now, kind of a duck agnostic. I don't I don't I don't really know how many they're out there, and I don't really know what the impact of them will be because no one has told us what they're going to be. And because we're not OPEC, we don't really, you know, it's just kind of each company's right. <laughs> going to do their own thing. Right. So the, so the duck thing is kind of interesting to kind of watch, but it, it feels like it gets too much attention. Now we had on the folks from, uh, what is it? Cryos, Cryos, uh, about a month ago. And they said that they believe that the ducks are actually far less than what the EIA is reporting. Um, and I think I heard someone else the other day who, who kind of echoed their sentiment. Um, and the reason was just real quick. Um, this is what I was. This is what I heard. So I don't um, I don't don't quote me on this. Not not for Kraus, so the other person, but essentially that the EIA is going from frac focus, and they're kind of and sometimes the frac I think it's frac focus, frac focus. Anyways, frac focus data sometimes is a little bit lagging, um, like by years, and so sometimes you could sit there, um, you could sit there and um, you know be way behind on what's going on. So it's, it's not exactly the best way to measure it. Anyways, ducks. Just get your opinion. Were you on the ducks? Are you? thinking that there's a lot out there that could come on like a lot of people speculated, not as many, or do you have an opinion at, at all?
3: Well, there's, there's still a lot of them out there. Uh, you know, companies, uh, last year in particular, over the previous two years drilled an awful lot of wells and didn't come necessarily bring them onto the sales line. Didn't want to complete them, but you know, just waiting for better prices. And there's still some some amount of inventory out there. I don't think, I I agree with you, I don't think anybody really knows, frankly, the real number. Um, And I suspect it's overstated because I I think what we saw in uh, the early part of this summer as the drilling uh, rig count was dropping fairly dramatically and U.S. production continued to go up uh, every week, essentially, except for for the week the hurricane came through the Gulf of Mexico, uh, is a lot of companies not drilling wells, but allocating capital dollars to completing wells, because during that period of time, if you remember from from late May through about mid July, the oil price was actually going up, you know, fairly well, and uh, I think we had a bunch of DUCs get completed at that time, because the the frac spreads were were increasing while the rig count was going down. And so it's it's kind of hard to keep up with all that data, and I haven't kept up with the number of frack spread spreads this month just because I've been focused on other things. But uh, we did for about two months have, have a consistently rising frack, number of frack spreads with a consistently falling rig count, that tells me there's a lot of DUCs being
2: completed.
0: Well, David, we expect you to have all the data ready and available when we have you on. Come on now. <laughs> I know it. I know it. You mentioned the rig count. I think we'll probably uh, start to wrap it up with this. So first off, if we go back historically on the rig count, as you mentioned... um we talked about before the rig count, isn't always the best indicator of what's going on, especially like a week on week basis. It's, you know, it's kind of, you know, okay, this is what it is. Month on month is something quarter on quarter. You're kind of getting somewhere year on year. You're getting somewhere, but you have to couple that with the production output because the rigs are more efficient than they used to be. So, you know, it's, it's not the same. Um, with that being said, the rig count, there's a lot of pressure to, to take rigs off the market. Um, we'll, we'll see where that ultimately ends up by the end of the year. um, I know some of my folks that were, who are were in the um, upstream side selling you know, um, OCTG products have kind of said, hey, man, there's a lot of um, a lot of product on the ground, not a lot of drilling going on. And I was talking to someone the other day, I said, you know, it, it feels like, theoretically, maybe the second half of this year is going to be rough for uh, uh, more rigs, at least coming on the market, and potentially the first half of next year, depending on what the price does. But maybe by mid-year next year, we might see some rigs coming back on, uh, maybe some excitement back in the market. Obviously, anytime you're predicting anything like this, it's just kind of a, a shot in the dark, but... <laughs> But, but it, it feels like that might be, the barring some crazy circumstance, the earliest we could see a lot of optimism and, and a push for a lot of rigs. So we're, do you agree, disagree? What do you think?
3: Well, I mean, I think you can become optimistic in October. So, so what happens with these companies, particularly the corporate companies, is they go through their budgeting processes beginning either in late September or early October to start working up their capital budgets for the following year. So if you remember last year, uh, the price began crashing on October 2nd. We reached a high on the price and it started, the oil price began to crash. and spent two months crashing at exactly the same time all these companies were building their capital budgets. So the rig count peaked towards the end of the year as they were continuing to execute the rest of the remaining 2018 budget. But then in late December, the rig count really began to fall very rapidly and did for about a month. And and since then, it's just steadily fallen ever since. And we've, we've uh, idled more than 200 rigs now since mid-December. And uh, I think we're probably going to idle another hundred rigs between now and the end of the year, because all these companies, you know, lower their capital budgets for the second half of the year. But if you see fairly strong crude prices in October, then you can become optimistic that that the drop in the rig count is going to stop on January 1st, and it's probably going to start going back up a little bit. How much is just going to depend on on whether, you know, the the price increase holds and continues to rise. But, uh, yeah, it's all dependent on on what the expectation for the price in the coming months is. And, uh, yeah, I see no reason to expect. I'll be honest with you, I don't think the price is going to change much at all between now and the end of the year. I think we're kind of range bound between 52 and 58 or so, and we're going to be that way for the foreseeable future until there's some major change in either you know, U.S. production growth or the OPEC plus deal or something major happens to change the current dynamic.
0: You know, it's funny. We we said on this show, I think it was uh, last year or maybe two years ago, that we wish the price would just stay stable somewhere, just just for a length of time. And it's it, the price is stable, and it's everyone's kind of losing their mind. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's like you know when the price was going from you know a hundred down to twenty, folks would have begged for fifty. Or when it was, th- you know, so now we have some stability. Um, if it does kind of flush out some of the companies who aren't. Um, um, able to to stay competitive, and I don't want people losing the jobs, as you know. But that's part of the market process, and that that will happen. But if it can stay between fifty two and fifty eight for you know a, a couple of years, I don't, I'm not exactly mad at that either. Um, what I don't want is it to drop to forty or thirty, and then up to seventy, and then we're back to where we were two years ago.
3: Yeah, and and having a little added predictability also enables companies to to get better at what they do, and and that's what we've seen since the price crashed in twenty fourteen is. These companies are incredibly more efficient and effective at at drilling these wells and keeping their costs down. And that's just going to continue over time. So some of these companies that aren't necessarily profitable today, if if we do have a fairly stable price environment, a year from now might be profitable just by doing what they do better than they currently do it.
0: Okay, David, well, it was great to get you back on the show, Shell Mag, Forbes. Nate, we'll link to that stuff in the show notes. Anything else before we get you out of here today?
3: Uh, no, just just come to Shell Mag. We, we're going to have uh, Ryan Zinke on the cover uh, for our September-October issue, uh, and uh, we're currently trying to figure out who our cover subject is going to be for December or November-December. Uh, but a lot of good stuff going on there and, uh, um, you know, come read my stuff at Forbes. I, I like to have readers.
0: All right. Well, David, it's good to have you on again. Thank you. And, uh, maybe Nate will, will reach out to you and get you booked again before the end of the year. If we can, we, it's hard to get work out of Nate. So we're, we're hoping we can get something out of him before the end of the year.
1: Wow. <laughs> wow. Ryan. <laughs> All right. guys. need more tire marks on my face? <laughs>
0: thanks david we appreciate it brother you all right y'all take care all right have a good day take care. all right nate you sent me a note um during the blackman interview you said we had a retraction to issue i don't like issuing retractions but we'll blame you for this so what did we get wrong
1: yes yeah, so during that interview um i noticed that you were you were kind of searching for the name of the company that we spoke to with uh ted hall the name mm-hmm. of that company is kairos
0: kairos Kairos, Kairos, Crayons, Cairo, whatever. Link to them in the show notes. We'll give them a free thing. Speaking of attractions, last week we covered a breaking story about Sergio Chapa, who, in my opinion, misled his Instagram followers by saying that he had dinner at Culture on my recommendation and omitted that I was there. I don't know if this is a retraction or not, um, but Sergio did edit the Instagram post to include that I was there, which is fine, but I didn't see anything on the Houston Chronicle website about this. So it just goes to show you those big timers. They think they can not public, you know, we just admitted that we were wrong. We just took responsibility. We took ownership. We put it out there for the world to know. Sergio just edited a post and, you know, said, Hey, I hope you, you know, take that. You feel the animal or something like that was his text." So um, that's the difference between us down home, country folk and the big business folks like uh, Sergio, who, you know, mainstream media, man, they got all the power, Nate. It's, uh, it's tough to compete with that.
1: He pretty much just takes our stories and, uh, and makes them into his, into his headline pieces anyway. That's exactly what he does. Actually, exactly I got confirmation of that over the weekend, too. He, uh, he admitted that he was stealing stories from us, practically, sort of. Well...
0: We we don't we don't report the news. We just make it um, here at the Texas and Gas Podcast. For listeners, thank you for tuning in again. Rate, review, and Nate says subscribe to the show. Let's get that Mount Rushmore status. oilandgascruise.com, com. If you're interested in that, David Blackman would be one of our speakers if we go forward with that. Him and Joe Dancy and um, myself, Josh Ellenwald, and one other to be named. Um, Nate, anything else before we get out of here?
1: That is all, Ryan. Um other than reminding our, uh, our subscribers or our, our listeners to become subscribers again and to sign up for our oil and gra- gas cruise at oilandgascruise.com.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, keep climbing.